Chapter Sixteen of Ziska by Marie Corelli. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Ilianthi. Stricken dumb with a ghastly supernatural terror, which far exceeded any ordinary sense of fear, he gazed at her, spellbound, his blood freezing, his very limbs stiffening. For now, now she looked like the picture he had painted of her, and death. Death, livid, tortured, and horrible, stared at him, skull-wise, from the transparent covering of her exquisitely tinted, seeming human flesh. Larger and brighter and wilder grew her eyes as she fixed them on him, and her voice rang through the silence with an unearthly resonance as she spoke and said, "'Welcome, my lover, to this abode of love. Welcome to these arms.' for whose embraces your covetous soul has thirsted unappeased. Take all of me, for I am yours, I so truly yours, that you can never escape me, never separate from me, no, not through a thousand centuries. Life of my soul, soul of my soul, possess me as I possess you, for our two unpretending spirits form a dual flame in hell which must burn on and on to all eternity. Leap to my arms, master and lord, king and conqueror, here, here. She smote her white arms against her white bosom. Take all your fill of burning wickedness, of cursed joy, and then sleep as you have slept before these many thousand years." Still mute and aghast, he stared at her, his senses swam, his brain reeled, and then slowly, like the lifting of a curtain, on the last scene of a dire tragedy, a lightning thought, a scorching memory, sprang into his mind and overwhelmed him like a rolling wave that brings death in its track. With a fierce oath, he rushed towards her and seized her hands in his, hands cold as ice and clammy as with the dews of the grave. Ziska, woman, devil, speak before you drive me to madness. What passion moves you thus? What mystic fooling? Into what place have I been decoyed at your bidding? Why am I brought hither? Speak, speak, or I shall murder you. Nay, she said, and her slight swaying form dilated and grew till she seemed to rise up from the very ground and to tower above him like an enraged demon evoked from mist or flame. You have done that once. To murder me twice is beyond your power. And as she spoke, her hands slipped from his like the hands of a corpse newly dead. Never again can you hurl forth my anguished soul, unprepared to the outer darkness of things invisible. Never again, for I am free, free with an immortal freedom, free to work out repentance or revenge, even as man is free to shape his course for good or evil. He chooses evil, I choose revenge. What place is this, you ask? And with a majestic, gliding motion, she advanced a little and pointed upward to the sparkling gold-patterned roof. Above us the great pyramid lifts its summit to the stars, and here below, here where you will presently lie, my lover and lord, asleep in the delicate bosom of love, here. She paused, and a low laugh broke from her lips. 
then she added slowly and impressively here is the tomb of araxes as she spoke a creeping sense of coldness and horror stole into his veins like the approach of death the strange impressions he had felt the haunting and confusing memory he had always had of her face and voice the supernatural theories he had lately heard discussed all rushed at once upon his mind and he uttered a loud involuntary cry my god what frenzy is this a woman's vain trick a fool's mad scheme what is araxes to me or i to araxes everything replied ziska the vindictive demon light in her eyes blazing with a truly frightful intensity inasmuch as ye are one and the same the same dark soul of sin unpurged uncleansed through ages of eternal fire sensualist voluptuary accursed spirit of the man i loved come forth from the present seeming of things come forth and cling to me cling for the whole forces of a million universes shall not separate us o oh, eternal spirits of the dead and she lifted her ghostly white arms with a wild gesture rend ye the veil declare to the infidel and unbeliever the truth of the life beyond death the life wherein ye and i dwell and work clamouring for late justice here she sprang forward and caught the arm of gervaise with all the fierce eagerness of some ravenous bird of prey and as she did so he knew her grasp meant death remember the days of old araxes look back look back from the present to the past and remember the crimes that are still unavenged remember the love sought and won remember the broken heart remember the ruined life remember the triumphs of war the glories of conquest remember the lust of ambition the treachery the slaughter the blasphemies against high heaven remember the night of the feast of osiris the feast of the sun remember how ziska Sharmazel awaited her lover singing alone for joy in blind faith and blinder love his favourite song of the lotus lily the moon was high as it is now the stars glittered above the pyramids as they glitter now in the palace there was the sound of music and triumph and laughter and a whisper on the air of the fickle heart and changeful mood of araxes of another face which charmed him though less fair than that of ziska Sharmazel. remember remember and she clung closer and closer as he staggered backward half suffocated by his own emotions and the horror of her touch remember the fierce word the quick and murderous blow the plunge of the jewelled knife up to the hilt in the passionate white bosom of Charmazel, the lonely anguish in which she died died but to live again and pursue her murderer to track him down to his grave wherein the kings strewed gold and devils strewed curses down down to the end of all his glory and conquest into the silence of yon gold encrusted clay and out of silence again into sound and light and fire ever pursuing i have followed 
followed through a thousand phases of existence, and I will follow still through limitless space and endless time, till the great maker of this terrible wheel of life himself shall say, Stop! Here ends even the law of vengeance. Oh, for ten thousand centuries, more in which to work my passion and prove my wrong, all the treasure of love despised, all the hope of a life betrayed, all the salvation of a heaven denied. Tremble, soul of Araxes, for hate is eternal, as love is eternal, the veil is down, and memory sings. She turned her face, now spectral and pallid as a waning moon, up to him. Her form grew thin and skeleton-like, while still retaining the transparent outline of its beauty, and he realised at last that no creature of flesh and blood was this that clung to him, but some mysterious bodiless horror of the supernatural, unguessed at by the outer world of men. The dews of death stood thick on his forehead. There was a straining agony at his heart, and his breath came in quick convulsive gasps, but worse than his physical torture was the overwhelming and convincing truth of the actual existence of the spiritual universe, now so suddenly and awfully revealed. What he had all his life denied was now declared a certainty. Where he had been deaf and blind, he now heard and saw. Ziska, Ziska Charmazel, in very truth he knew he remembered her, in very truth he knew he had loved her, in very truth he knew he had murdered her. But another still stranger truth was forcing itself upon him now, and this was that the old love of the old days was arising within him in all its strength once more, and that he loved her still, unreal and terrible as it seemed, it was nevertheless a fact that as he gazed upon her tortured face, her beautiful anguished eyes, her phantom form, he felt that he would give his own soul to rescue hers and lift her from the coils of vengeance into love again. Her words awoke vibrating pulsations of thought, long dormant in the innermost recesses of his spirit, which like so many dagger thrusts stabbed him with a myriad recollections, and as a disguising cloak may fall from the figure of a friend in a masquerade, so his present seeming personality dropped from him and no longer had any substance. He recognised himself as Araxes, always the same soul passing through a myriad changes, and all the links of his past and present were suddenly welded together in one unbroken chain, stretching over thousands of years, every link of which he was able to count, mark and recognise, by the dreadful light of that dumb comprehension which flashes on all parting souls at the moment of dissolution. He perceived at last that not the body, but the spirit is the central secret of life. Not deeds, but thoughts evolve creation. Death? That was a name merely. There was no death, only a change into some other form of existence. What change, what form would be his now? This thought startled him, roused him, and once again the low spirit voice of his long ago betrayed and murdered love thrilled in his ears. Soul of Araxes, cling to my soul, for this present life is swiftly passing. 
no more scorn of the divine can stand whither we are speeding for the terrible and eternal truth overshadows us and our destinies closed are the gates of heaven open wide are the portals of hell enter with me my lover araxes die as i died unprepared and alone die and pass out into new life again such life as mine such torture as mine such despair as mine such hate as mine she ceased abruptly for he convinced now of the certainty of immortality was suddenly moved to a strange access of courage and resolution something sweet and subtle stirred in him a sense of power a hint of joy which completely overcame all dread of death old love revived grew stronger in his soul and his gaze rested on the shadowy form beside him no longer with horror but with tenderness she was ziska charmazel she had been his love the dearest portion of his life once in the far-off time she had been the fairest of women and more than fair she had been faithful yes he remembered that as he remembered her every curve in her beautiful body had been a joy for him alone and for him alone her lips sweet and fresh as rosebuds had kept their kisses she had loved him as few women have either heart or strength to love and he had rewarded her fidelity by death and eternal torment a struggling cry escaped him and he stretched out his arms ziska forgive forgive as he uttered the words he saw her wan face suddenly change all the terror and torture passed from it like a passing cloud beautiful as an angel's it smiled upon him the eyes softened and flashed with love the lips trembled the spectral form glowed with a living luminance and a mystic glory glittered above the dusky hair filled with ecstasy at the sight of her wondrous loveliness he felt nothing of the coldness of death at his heart a divine passion inspired him and with the last effort of his failing strength he strove to gather all the spirit-like beauty of her being into his embrace love love he cried not hate but love come back out of the darkness soul of the woman i wronged forgive me come back to me hell or heaven what matters it if we are together come to me come love is stronger than hate speech failed him the cold agony of death gripped at his heart and struck him mute but still he saw the beautiful passionate eyes of a forgiving love turned gloriously upon him like stars in the black chaos whither he now seemed rushing then came a solemn surging sound as of great wings beating on a tempestuous air and all the light in the tomb was suddenly extinguished one instant more he stood upright in the thick darkness then a burning knife seemed plunged into his breast and he reeled forward and fell his last hold on life being the consciousness that soft arms were clasping him and drawing him away away he knew not whither and that warm lips sweet and tender were closely pressed on his and presently out of the heavy gloom came a voice which said peace the old gods are best and the law is made perfect a life demands a life 
love's debt must be paid by love the woman's soul forgives the man's repents wherefore they are both released from bondage and the memory of sin let them go hence the curse is lifted once more the wavering ghostly light gave luminance to the splendour of the tomb and showed where fallen sideways among the golden treasures and mementos of the past lay the dead body of armand gervaise above him gleamed the great jewelled sarcophagus and within touch of his passive hand was the ivory shield and gold-hilted sword of araxes the spectral radiance gleamed wandered and flitted over all things now feebly now brilliantly till finally flashing with a pale glare on the dark dead face with the proud closed lips and black level brows it flickered out and one of the many countless mysteries of the great pyramid was again hidden in impenetrable darkness vainly denzil murray waited next morning for his rival to appear he paced up and down impatiently watching the rosy hues of sunrise spreading over the wide desert and lighting up the massive features of the sphinx till as hour after hour passed and still gervaise did not come he hurried back to the mina house hotel and meeting dr maxwell dean on the way to him poured out his rage and perplexity i never thought gervaise was a coward he said hotly nor should you think so now returned the doctor with a grave and preoccupied air whatever his faults cowardice was not one of them you see i speak of him in the past tense i told you your intended jewel would not come off and i was right denzil i don't think you'll ever see either armand gervaise or the princess ziska again denzil started violently what do you mean the princess is here here in this very house is she and dr dean sighed somewhat impatiently well let us see then turning to a passing waiter he inquired is the princess ziska here still no sir she left quite suddenly late last night going on to thebes i believe sir the doctor looked meaningly at denzil you hear but denzil in his turn was interrogating the waiter is mr gervaise in his room no sir he went out about ten o'clock yesterday evening and i don't think he is coming back one of the princess ziska's servants the tall nubian who you may have noticed sir brought a message from him to say that his luggage was to be sent to paris and that the money for his bill would be found on his dressing-table it was all right of course but we thought it rather curious and glancing deferentially from one to the other of his questioners with a smile the waiter went on his way they have fled together said denzil then in choked accents of fury by heaven if i had guessed the plan already formed in his treacherous mind i would never have shaken hands with gervaise last night oh you did shake hands queried dr dean meditatively well there was no harm in that you are right you and gervaise will meet no more in this life believe me he and the princess ziska have undoubtedly as you say fled together but not to thebes he paused a moment then laid his hand kindly on denzil's shoulder let us go back to cairo my boy and from thence as soon as possible to england we shall all be better away from this terrible land where the dead have far more power than the living 
Denzil stared at him uncomprehendingly. "'You talk in riddles,' he said irritably. "'Do you think I shall let Gervaise escape me? "'I will track him wherever he is gone. "'I dare say I shall find him in Paris.' Dr. Dean took one or two slow turns up and down the corridor where they were conversing, then stopping abruptly, looked his young friend full and steadily in the eyes. "'Come, come, Denzil, no more of this folly,' he said gently. "'Why should you entertain these ideas of vengeance against Gervaise? "'He has really done you no harm. "'He was the natural mate of the woman you imagined you loved, "'the response to her query, the other half of her being, "'and that she was and is his destiny, and he hers, "'should not excite your envy or hatred. "'I say you imagined you loved the Princess Siska. "'It was a young man's hot freak of passion "'for an almost matchless beauty,' but no more than that, and if you would be frank with yourself, you know that passion has already cooled. I repeat, you will never see Gervaise or the Princess Siska again in this life, so make the best of it. Perhaps you have assisted him to escape me, said Denzil frigidly. Dr. Dean smiled. That's rather a rough speech, Denzil, but never mind, he returned. Your pride is wounded, and you are still sore. Suspect me as you please. "'Make me out a new panderous, if you like. "'I shall not be offended. "'But you know, for I have often told you, "'that I never interfere in love matters. "'They are too explosive, too vitally dangerous. "'Outsiders ought never to meddle with them, and I never do. "'Come back with me to Cairo, "'and when we are once more safely established "'on the solid and unromantic isles of Britain, "'you will forget all about the Princess Ziska, "'or if you do remember her, it will only be as a dream in the night, a kind of vague shadow and uncertainty which will never seriously trouble your mind. You look incredulous. I tell you at your age, love is little more than a vision. You must wait a few years yet before it becomes a reality, and then heaven help you, Denzil, for you will be a troublesome fellow to deal with. Meanwhile, let us get back to Cairo and see Helen. Somewhat soothed by the doctor's good nature, and a trifle ashamed of his wrath, Denzil yielded, and the evening saw them both back at the Gezira Palace Hotel, where, of course, the news of the sudden disappearance of Amman Gervais with the Princess Ziska created the utmost excitement. Helen Murray shivered and grew pale as death when she heard it. Lively old Lady Falkwood simpered and giggled, and declared it was the most delightful thing she had ever heard of. An elopement in the desert was so exquisitely romantic. Sir Chetwynd Lyle wrote a conventional and stilted account of it for his paper, and ponderously opined that the immorality of Frenchmen was absolutely beyond any decent journalist's powers of description. Lady Chetwynd Lyle, on the contrary, said that the scandal was not the fault of Gervaise. It was all that horrid woman who had thrown herself at his head, Ross Courtney thought the whole thing was queer, and young Lord Falkwood said there was something about it he didn't quite understand, something deep, which his aristocratic quality of intelligence could not fathom, and society talked and gossiped till Paris and London caught the rumour, and the name of the famous French artist who had so strangely vanished from the scene of his triumphs with the beautiful woman whom no one had ever heard of before was soon in everybody's mouth. No trace of him or of the Princess Ziska could be discovered. His portmanteau contained no letters or papers, 
nothing but a few clothes his paint-box and easel were sent on to his deserted studio in paris and also a blank square of canvas on which as dr dean and others knew had once been the curiously horrible portrait of the princess but that appalling first sketch was wiped out and clean gone as though it had never been painted and dr dean called denzil's attention to the fact but denzil thought nothing of it as he imagined that gervaise himself had obliterated it before leaving cairo a few of the curious among the gossips went to see the house the princess had lately occupied where she had received society and managed to shock it as well it was shut up and looked as if it had not been inhabited for years and the gossips said it was strange very strange and confessed themselves utterly mystified but the fact remained that gervaise had disappeared and the princess ziska with him however said society they can't possibly hide themselves for long two such remarkable personalities are bound to appear again somewhere i dare say we shall come across them in paris or on the riviera the world is much too small for the holding of a secret and presently with the approach of spring and the gradual break-up of the cairo season denzil murray and his sister sailed from alexandria en route for venice dr dean accompanied them so did the falkwards and ross courtney the chetwynd lyles went by a different steamer old lady falkwood being quite too much for the patience of those sweet but still unengaged girls muriel and dolly one night when the great ship was speeding swiftly over a calm sea and denzil lost in sorrowful meditation was gazing out over the trackless ocean with pained and passionate eyes which could see nothing but the witching and exquisite beauty of the princess ziska now possessed and enjoyed by gervaise dr dean touched him on the arm and said denzil have you ever read shakespeare denzil started and forced a smile why yes of course then you know the lines there are more things in heaven and earth horatio than are dreamt of in your philosophy the princess ziska was one of those things denzil regarded him in wonderment what do you mean oh of course you will think me insane said the doctor resignedly people always take refuge in thinking that those who tell them uncomfortable truths are lunatics you've heard me talk of ghosts ghosts that walk and move about us like human beings and they are generally very brilliant and clever impersonations of humanity too and that nevertheless are not human denzil assented the princess ziska was a ghost concluded the doctor folding his arms very tightly across his chest and nodding defiantly nonsense cried denzil you are mad precisely the remark i thought you would make and dr dean unfolded his arms again and smiled triumphantly therefore my dear boy let us for the future avoid this subject i know what i know i can distinguish phantoms from reality and i am not deceived by appearances but the world prefers ignorance to knowledge and even so let it be next time i meet a ghost i'll keep my own counsel he paused a moment then added you remember i told you i was hunting down that warrior of old time araxes denzil nodded a trifle impatiently well resumed the doctor slowly before we left egypt i found him but how i found him and where is my secret 
Society still speaks occasionally of Armand Gervais, and wonders in its feeble way when he will be tired of the Egyptian beauty he ran away with, or she of him. Society never thinks very far, or cares very much, for anything long, but it does certainly expect to see the once famous French artist turn up suddenly, either in his old quarters in Paris, or in one or other of the fashionable resorts of the Riviera. That he should be dead has never occurred to anyone, except, perhaps, Dr. Maxwell Dean. But Dr. Dean has grown extremely reticent, almost surly, and never answers any questions concerning his scientific theory of ghosts, a work which, when published, created a great deal of excitement, owing to its singularity and novelty of treatment. There was the usual hee-hawing from the donkeys in the literary pasture, who fondly imagined their brayings deserved to be considered in the light of serious opinion, and then after a while the book fell into the hands of scientists only, men who are beginning to understand the discretion of silence, and to hold their tongues as closely as the Egyptian priests of old did, aware that the great majority of men are never ripe for knowledge. Quite lately, Dr. Dean attended two weddings, one being that of old Lady Falkwood, who has married a very pretty young fellow of five-and-twenty, whose dearest consideration in life is the shape of his shirt-collar, the other that of Denzil Murray, who has wedded the perfectly well-born, well-bred, and virtuous, if somewhat cold-blooded, daughter of his next-door neighbour in the Highlands. Concerning his Egyptian experience, he never speaks, he lives the ordinary life of the Scottish landowner, looking after his tenantry, considering the crops, preserving the game, and clearing fallen timber. And if the glowing face of the beautiful Ziska ever floats before his memory, it is only in a vague dream from which he quickly rouses himself with a troubled sigh. His sister Helen has never married. Lord Falkwood proposed to her, but was gently rejected whereupon the disconsolate young nobleman took a journey to the States and married the daughter of a millionaire oil merchant instead. Sir Chetwynd Lyle and his pig-faced spouse still thrive and grow fat on the proceeds of the Daily Dial, and there is faint hope that one of their girls will wed an aspiring journalist, a bold adventurer who wants a share in the paper. Somehow, even if he has to marry Muriel or Dolly in order to get it, Ross Courtney is the only man of the party once assembled at the Gezira Palace Hotel, who still goes to Cairo every winter, fascinated thither by an annually recurring dim notion that he may discover traces of the lost Armand Gervais and the Princess Siska, and he frequently accompanies the numerous sightseers who season after season drive from Cairo to the pyramids and take pleasure in staring at the Sphinx with all the impertinence common to pygmies when contemplating greatness. But more riddles than that of the Sphinx are lost in the depths of the sandy desert, and more unsolved problems lie in the recesses of the past than even the restless and inquiring spirit of modern times will ever discover. And if it should ever chance that in days to come the secret of the movable floor of the great pyramid should be found, and the lost treasure of Egypt brought to light, there will probably be much discussion 
and marvel concerning the golden tomb of araxes for the hieroglyphs on the jewelled sarcophagus speak of him thus and say araxes was a man of might far exceeding in strength and beauty the common sons of men great in war invincible in love he did excel in deeds of courage and of conquest and for whatsoever sins he did in the secret weakness of humanity commit the gods must judge him but in all that may befit a warrior amenhotep the king doth give him honour and to the spirits of darkness and of light his soul is here commended to its rest thus much of the fierce dead hero of old but of the mouldering corpse that lies on the golden floor of the same tomb its skeleton hand touching almost grasping the sword of araxes what shall be said nothing since the old and the new the past and the present are but as one in the countings of eternity and even with a late repentance love pardons all end of chapter sixteen end of ziska by marie corelli read by ilianthi